story of a season. He's all by himself, fires into the end zone, caught, touchdown! Here's your host, Truman Chose. You're listening on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Hey, so now we have three weeks of the NFL uh, finished, and this year has definitely proven the old saying of any given Sunday, and also how sometimes dumb things happen uh, which cause larger shockwaves. So if we look around at the NFL standings, there is a shocking amount of parity. Uh, only the Raiders and Texans haven't won a game yet, and the Texans at least tied the Colts earlier this year, so the Raiders are, are the only 0-3 team right now. Uh, every other team has won at least one game. I just looked back at the historical standings, just going back a few years, but this is uh, a very rare occurrence for there to be only one 0-3 team. Uh, so... As I said, every other team has won at least one game. Uh, one of those dumb games was the Jets at the Browns a couple weeks ago, which the Jets won despite trailing by 13 points with less than two minutes remaining. That's probably the flukiest game of the year and also one of the flukiest games in recent memory. Uh, but just because of that one fluke, the Browns are now sitting at 2-1 and one instead of 3-0. and oh. We might be discussing them as one of the top teams in the league right now uh, as an undefeated one. And the events of just two minutes of game time flipped what should have been essentially a guaranteed win. So snatching defeat from the jaws of victory is something the Falcons are no strangers to. Uh, In week one, they lost to the Saints after leading by 16 with just a few minutes to go. Uh, This was the latest in a long series of games they dropped after having a large lead very late. It's essentially become a meme at this point after Super Bowl 51. Uh... Some games just regressed overall results to the mean. Uh, the Colts had looked like one of the worst teams in the league this year, while the Chiefs looked like one of the best. But the Colts beat the Chiefs 20-17 to on Sunday as uh, f- fairly considerable underdogs. So this was largely due to a bunch of flukes. Uh, Andy Reid decided to go for a fake field goal. Uh, for some reason, the Chiefs kicker missed a 34-yard field goal. And there was a very late unsportsmanlike conduct penalty on Chris Jones, which was at least uh, controversial. Uh, So I'm not trying to say that the Chiefs were due for a loss, and the Colts were also not due for a win. That's known as the gambler's fallacy, which is the idea that a previous result will make the opposite more likely in the future, despite the games being independent things with no or very little uh, bearing on each other. I'll get into that a little bit later on you know, how much does one impact the other. The point being, just because you win one game doesn't mean that you're suddenly bound to lose another one to get to the magic, I don't know, 12-5 and five record or anything. However, it was also unlikely that we would just end up with every game result being the best team winning with each 2-0 team, you know, marching to 17-0 and every 0-2 team or 0-1-1 team in the Colts case marching to 0-17, or 0-16-1. Sometimes games like this happen, and some games like this with just a dumb result that bunches the standings closer to each other were likely, and we've seen a lot of that this year. Uh, Lastly, I wanted to mention how last year Jacksonville had the worst turnover margin in the league, and this year, through three weeks, they actually have the best. So 
Uh, you'll often hear people talking about how teams need to win the turnover battle. Thing is, yes, turnovers impact the results of games. However, uh, as evidenced by cases like Jacksonville, it's not very predictable as to what teams will turn over the ball and which ones won't. So this demonstrates how turnover margin is inconsistent and fluky and can't just be relied on. Uh, do we really think that the, that the Jaguars magically did a bunch of drills over the summer that somehow made them go from worst to first in uh, preventing and picking up turnovers? Uh, but it is a major factor in what wins games. So I do th- still think that Jacksonville is a solid team, but it should be noted that 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 is part of what is driving their current success. So moving on from just the general parody in the league, I did, since the show is called Story of a Season, I did want to dig into some of the other storylines going on. Uh, First off, specifically what's going on in Las Vegas. So reports were that the Raiders owner, Mark Davis, had a very stern closed-door discussion with uh, Coach Josh McDaniels after the Raiders' latest 24-22 loss to the Titans. Uh, The Raiders have the worst record in the league right now, Uh, While they haven't looked like Super Bowl contenders per se, I don't think that if you were to watch them play, you would say, wow, this is the worst team in the league. They're worse than every single other one, and they're definitely favorites for the number one pick. Uh, The Chargers looked better for the most part in week one, but the Raiders had the ball with a chance to win with two minutes left. Uh, Against the Cardinals, they led for most of the game until we had an insane ending. Uh, Somehow they let the Cardinals force the game into overtime, where the ball kept exchanging hands until the Raiders were in place for a final drive, and then this happened. Second and ten, quick pass outside, and that is complete. That is Moreau, and Moreau fighting for yardage. The ball is loose again. Uh Picked up by the Cardinals. This is Byron Murphy to the end zone for the touchdown and the win. That clip came courtesy of Greg Gumbel, Adam Archuleta, and CBS in the NFL. And then late last week against the Titans, uh, the Raiders again trailed for most of the game, but they did have a chance to tie it up on a two-point conversion. Uh, Unfortunately, that failed, and that brought them to 0-3. So the Raiders were in a position to win or force overtime for every single one of their games. They just happened to be the team that this year has gotten the most bad beats to drop them to 0-3. Uh, Because of our psychological biases as humans where we really uh, despise loss and want to avoid it more than wins, the difference between 0-3 and 1-2 feels much larger than 1-2 versus 2-1, despite in absolute terms, it is the same difference. So Josh McDaniels has not been that terrible, but he is the coach facing the most heat right now. And while he is partially to to blame for the 0-3 start, It is also because of some just dumb luck that's happened out of his control. So just uh, compare him to to Nathaniel Hackett, a division rival in Broncos. Uh, He's essentially stumbled into two wins just because he has a fairly solid roster, and it has saved him from some of his in-game decision-making. Ben Baldwin of of The Athletic, who writes a lot about fourth down or two-point conversion decisions, uh, argues that Nathaniel Hackett has given up the most win probability based on his fourth down decision making, whereas Josh McDaniels is much, much better on that list. Uh, all that being said, I do think that since an NFL team is made of human beings who feel the weight of 0-3 and not computers who are you know, just happy looking at moral victories and how they performed on a more granular basis over the entire 
course of the season, play-by-play. Their own three-star will have an impact. Uh, I don't think the Raiders have played any worse than the average team with just one win. So in a vacuum, I would expect them to perform better than the worst team in the league. However, I do think that they have more pressure than a one-and-two team like the Jets or the Commanders or something. And having zero wins to point to has to have, you know, some sort of psychological effect. So Mark Davis applying pressure on Josh McDaniels for the Raiders to really get their act together uh, does make sense, even if he doesn't deserve all the blame. So maybe we'll see a snowballing effect with the losses where the rich get richer and the poor get poorer, especially since over the next two weeks they face the Broncos followed by the Chiefs. And if they, if they lose both of those instead of own five, that will uh, weigh heavily on Josh McDaniels. Uh, or maybe their poor start will motivate them to improve over the next stretch of the season. Point being, I do want to uh, look at the big picture uh, and how good, quote-unquote, teams are. Instead of only looking at wins and losses, I do want to look at things at a more granular level. However, in the words of Dostoevsky, men are not piano keys, especially not a bunch of men competing together for honor, money, and fame while putting their bodies on the line. So I do want to take into account the more human element of the game. Uh, We just mentioned Nathaniel Hackett, so let's talk about a different coach who made a surprisingly dumb fourth down decision this week. Uh, The Detroit Lions were leading the Minnesota Vikings for most of the game uh, when they faced a fourth and four from the Vikings 37 with just about two minutes remaining. Uh, The announcers actually did a pretty good job of breaking down the the decision-making process, so I'm just going to play that clip. So... Dan Campbell thinking about this. We talked about his aggression. They've converted five fourth down conversions. Yeah, the field goal does make it so obviously that a field goal on the other side doesn't do anything, but you still get beat by a touchdown. Right. Uh, It it just makes it a a harder, longer trip for the Vikings, assuming you make the field goal. Yeah. But in this case, look, you end the game, you get a first down. And the Lions have played this pretty aggressive the entire game. I think the hard part is you don't get it. Now you've got a short field for Kirk Cousins with – let's just say a minute to go down and find a field goal to get this thing into overtime. That came courtesy of the NFL, Fox, Brandon Godden, and Brady Quinn. So this trap where a team is up by three and it decides to kick a field goal to go up by six is a very common one. Basically, if the fourth down is short enough and it's late in the game, it is usually better to go for the first down. If you miss, you're still up by a field goal, meaning that the other team might be content with just settling for a field goal to play for overtime. If you kick the field goal, they're 100% guaranteed to be pursuing a touchdown, and the most likely results are now a win or a loss in regulation, with overtime unlikely barring them scoring a touchdown and then missing the extra point. So counterintuitively, it is better in some situations to be up by fewer points, to be up by three rather than by six, to have a smaller lead than a larger one. Uh, in this case, the Lions were also foregoing a chance to win the game outright if they made, if they had converted the four yards, they won, period. So this isn't a risk-free proposition. The other team could still score a touchdown, putting you down by four and in need of a touchdown. Uh, in this case, the Lions missed the field goal, keeping them up by three, and they lost after the Vikings scored a touchdown, so they didn't just go for the field goal, and they put the Lions down by four. Uh, However, the point is to look at the odds from prior to the play, not what the end result was. We want to judge Dan Campbell on what he knew beforehand, not on what actually happened. So had their plan worked, I would still disagree with the decision. Uh, It's especially odd the Lions had been very happy to go for it on fourth down all day. 
So this was a chance for the Lions to claim a spot on top of the NFC North and announce that they aren't just the frisky team that no one wants to play, but an actual real contender for the playoffs. Uh, I'd say that they're the only NFC North team that hasn't really had an uncompetitive game so far. Like They've looked like a solid team um, basically in all their games against the Eagles and the Commanders and the Vikings. Uh, instead, when, the, when it mattered most, they ended up playing it safe, and they're now in last place in the NFC North. All right, moving on to power rankings. Uh, there'll be a little bit of movement, but not too much. Number one, I got the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, everyone expected them to be a good rushing team this season, which they have been. Uh, but this year, their true strength has actually been passing. Uh, they lead the NFL in net yards per passing attempt, as well as in opposing net yards per passing attempt, meaning that they're very efficient at both passing and also at stopping the pass. So they haven't had a game yet that I think could really be considered bad. Jalen Hurts is playing like a top five quarterback. Uh, so I'm going to put the Eagles at number one. Number two, I will put the Buffalo Bills. Even after their loss to Miami, I want to th- put them up fairly highly because of how dominant their previous two wins were against the Rams and the Titans. Uh, Josh Allen has once again been statistically one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Uh, and in a vacuum, I might pick them to beat the Eagles still. So I, I still really do like the Bills. But they have had a lot of injuries in the secondary, especially with Micah Hyde out for season. So I'm going to slot them back slightly under the Eagles. At number three, I'm going to put the Baltimore Ravens. Lamar Jackson is statistically leading or at least ranking highly in most passing categories. That's gone slightly under the radar this year uh, with all the other uh, storylines going on. But he has 10 passing touchdowns, and the Ravens lead the league in points scored. Uh, He's also doing this without a top wide receiver, so he is very much putting himself in MVP discussion, which is impressive. I do think that the Ravens are softer defensively than either Buffalo or Philadelphia, so I'm going to slot them slightly behind. Number four, I'll put the Miami Dolphins. Yes, I know that they just beat the the Bills and Ravens, the teams I slotted two and three above them, but those are both close wins. They could have gone either way. The Dolphins had to have the, the comeback against the Ravens, uh, which you know was a bit of a miracle, and I give them full credit for that. But the Ravens and Bills, outside of those games, have otherwise played stronger. Uh, so I still think that the Mike McDaniel era should be considered a success. They've shown excellent games, both offensively and defensively. I just want to see them put it together and get another really strong win, uh, even better than they had over the Patriots. Number five, I've got the Kansas City Chiefs. So their loss to Indianapolis was largely driven by special teams mishaps, uh, penalties, and a couple other things. And the Colts were also pretty desperate for a win. Overall, this is still a team with Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid and Travis Kelsey, as well as one that's made the last four AFC championships. So I'm not going to let one fluky loss influence my perception of them too much. So Chiefs at five. Number six, I'm going to have some fun. and I will put the Jaguars, the Jacksonville Jaguars, at number six. Right now, they rank second in DVOA, and they have the second-best point differential in the league. Trevor Lawrence has been playing like a top-10 quarterback, and it has been a small sample size, but based on what has actually happened on the field, not preseason predictions, not not anything else, they have been playing like one of the best teams in the league. I know it's hard to think of the Jacksonville Jaguars as one of the best teams, but I think we've got Doug Peterson, a Super Bowl-winning coach who has overperformed in year one with the Eagles previously. We've got Trevor Lawrence, who is just recently considered one of the a generational talent. I think the Jaguars are probably for real. 
So afterwards, then in a big lump, I've got three teams who I think have excellent defenses and offenses, which could be potentially good, but they haven't quite come together. Uh, so I'm going to put the Buccaneers number seven. Brady has only thrown three touchdowns this year, and Tampa has really struggled to get points on the board. That being said, they, I think they have arguably the best defense in the league, and he is missing his top three wide receivers. He's also Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback of all time. So it's possible later in the year they can figure some more stuff out on offense. At number eight, I'm going to put the 49ers. Uh, they're kind of similar, where they've got a, an elite defense, and I think they have the potential to be really good at offense. I just trust Tom Brady more than I trust Jimmy Garoppolo and Kyle Shanahan, but I still love both those guys. So I'll put them at number eight. And then number nine, I'll put the Broncos. Uh, the last out of those three, because while I love Russell Wilson, I really disagree with what Nathaniel Hackett has been doing this year. And out of the three teams, I think that they ha have the highest chance of imploding. Uh, and then I guess you could also throw the Packers in that group, but based on their receiving core, I I love Aaron Rodgers. The Packers are my team, but I just don't see them as much of a threat this year. All right, so then moving on to game picks. Uh, first, we've got the Browns at the Falcons. Uh, so the Falcons have been much better than expected this year. Last year, they were um, arguably the worst seven-win team in NFL history. Uh, but I think that the Browns have not only been like a frisky team, but actually a genuinely good one. They would be 3-0 if not for a really improbable loss to the Jets that we talked about earlier. They have looked like one of the best teams in the league, arguably. Uh, in DVOA, they are currently the seventh best team. I think the Browns have the better roster. I think that they've played better. I trust Kevin Stefanski more than I trust Arthur Smith at this moment. I think the Browns are playing for more than the Falcons are. I think that they're still just kind of a fun story. And I think they're going to use their running game to great effect against a relatively weak Falcons defense. So I'll take them 27 to 23. All right, next we've got the Arizona Cardinals at the Carolina Panthers. Uh, I'm going to take the Panthers to win this one. Uh, so right now, Arizona, I think, is in very large danger of imploding. If it were not for their win over the Raiders, I think we would be talking about them as one of the worst teams in the league. They have generally uh, looked stagnant on offense and quite horrible on defense. Yes, I love Kyler Murray, but I don't know if the marriage with Cliff Kingsbury is working. Uh, Panthers, I think that Baker Mayfield might be starting to get into a groove, and traditionally he has a habit of being kind of streaky and good for a couple of games. So I'm going to take the Panthers, uh, who have played every team close this year, to win this one against the Cardinals. Uh, 26 to 19. Uh, so then after that, we've got the Broncos at the Raiders. Uh, I think that the Raiders have been better than the record, as I mentioned. I also think that they are going to be extremely desperate for a win since they'll be playing the Chiefs next. Uh, and they're really going to want to avoid being at an 0-4 spot. Uh, the Broncos, I just listed them as... Uh, n number nine in my power rankings, but I do think that they are due for a, a bit of a letdown. I don't like this particular matchup for them. Uh, long term, I think the Broncos will be good, but right now I think they're still figuring things out, especially with Nathaniel Hackett. And I like the Raiders in a desperate spot to win 29-21. Uh, next, we got the Chiefs at the Buccaneers. Um... So as I said, the Buccaneers have 
not gotten things quite figured out on offense. Julio Jones might be coming back this week, which would be great news for them. That being said, uh, due to very unfortunate circumstances beyond their control with Hurricane Ian, uh, I think that this week's practice for them will be a little bit off. Uh, They might be playing in Minnesota instead of Tampa Bay. Uh, I just don't like the Buccaneers in this spot, and the Chiefs are coming off of a nasty loss to the Colts. So I like the Chiefs in this spot better than the Buccaneers, and I will pick them to win uh, 24-17. to Then we've got Commanders at Cowboys. Uh, I know that the Commanders did beat the Jaguars in Week 1 in what looked like a fairly decent win. Uh, however, they have looked absolutely terrible in the two games since. Uh, if not for their win, they we might be considering them one of the worst teams in the league. The Cowboys with Cooper Rush have been surprisingly good. Um, I don't think this will happen, but the fact that there are even memes and rumors about a Cooper Rush, Dak Prescott quarterback controversy uh, shows a lot. I think that the Cowboys have been surprisingly good in the absence of Dak, so I think the Cowboys are overall a better team. They're at a home spot, and the Commanders are spiraling. I am going to take them to beat the Commanders 24-18. to All right, that's it for this week. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. This has been Story of a Season with Truman Joyce on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM.